December 17, 1975.
you know, when you're in media, it ain't tight. I don't know why this thing keeps fading off and on here. We're having interesting problems here. I'm going to check just a minute here. Something is going on here. I'm going to try something here. Yeah, hello. One, two, three, four. Hello. Hello, test. Hello, test. That's what happens, you know, when the entire station is built out of a heat kit. Hello. One, two, three, four. We've got four 12-year-old boys to build it with soldering irons. They got down at Kresge's. Hello. One, two, three, four. Hello, Tess. <laughs> we got it going again. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, it, it's very discouraging to find that the biggest things in the world are really built, and everything is so put together. The whole world is kind of a cockamamie construction. You know, uh, you, t- you tend to think that things are really official. You know, when, you, when you're standing back from it, you probably think NBC is really official. I mean, CBS, uh, really dynamite stuff. You ought to see the rickety desk that John Chancellor has to sit at every night. And, uh, yeah, it's really sad. And uh, he runs around half the time trying to get his cushion for his chair because some secretary took it that's in the secretary's pool, you know. And if he doesn't get the cushion, he isn't high enough. The light is wrong on him then, so he has to sit on a phone booth some night when he's giving us the world news. I, I happened to be at CBS one night when Walter Cronkite, his earphones went bad. And, you know, he's got that little button in his ear that when he says things, it looks like he's somehow directly connected to God. His button went out one night, right in the middle of an Alpo commercial. And uh, somehow nothing is, <laughs> you know, don't think that anything works right. You know, everybody talks about the Egyptians and how uh, fantastic they built the pyramids. Everything is geometrically correct. But what you don't know about is the 17 pyramids that they botched. That, uh, that they, you know, completely blew. And after 44 years of all the slaves, you know, climbing up the side of the pyramids with the blocks, it was crooked. And so they just took it down. They weren't going <laughs> to... You know, and, and we don't hear about the, the fumbles in history. You only hear about the successes. And wouldn't it be great to have a panel show of all the guys that tried to run for president? And, uh, you know, just, just all these great uh, non-winners sitting around... Of course, there's plenty of non-winners in our society these days. And uh, if you count yourself among them, friends, you know that there's a game now uh, that uh, is being sold for kids, you know. Yeah, in fact, I, I was listening uh, to a radio commercial the other day, and the guy was advertising discount games. I don't know what a discount game is, but <laughs> I guess some, some games come already discounted from the manufacturer. It's like a friend of mine had a terrible experience. He wrote a novel. It took him two and a half years to write it. And uh, they told him that the, uh, that the pub date, this was two years ago, the pub date was going to be January 19th. He was all excited. So he's, you know, he's waiting for the announcement to come in the Times, which says, published today, you know, that kind of thing. You see that? And uh, he's walking down the street, and it's January 5th. And uh, just right after New Year's, he figures, well, the world is going to be great this year. I have, I'm starting out the new year with a novel being published. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be one song. How many of you have that illusion that after the first of the year, it's going to be a clean slate? <laughs> George, <laughs> one of the great human myths. Nevertheless, <laughs> has it ever been a clean slate? But uh, nevertheless, he was walking along 42nd Street. And I'm just saying this uh, for the benefit of those of you who may be... Uh, a, suddenly afflicted with a case of totally unwarranted optimism. Uh, this happens to people at times. You get seized by a paroxysm 
of uh, elation when you're sitting at the chalk and and uh, you got a uh, chocolate brownie, you know, and all of a sudden the world looks fantastic. You say, ah, I've got the world by the... Well, you know. And uh, <laughs> five minutes later you discover the truth, that the world has got you by the you-know. But uh, nevertheless, my friend... Now, wait a minute. Do you want to hear the story? My friend is walking along uh, January 5th. Now, his book is coming out the 19th. You got it? And he's a guy that just can't stay out of bookstores. You know, one of those types. He walks in and out of bookstores all day long. And he drifted into a remainder bookstore on 42nd Street. And he was shocked. There was a whole big pile of his novel at 19 cents a copy. It hadn't even been published yet. Already on the remainder list. I mean, you know, that's like... Uh, that's like, uh, Al, please, would you give me, give me just a wee bit of this because I want to show you something about blasted dreams. Bring it on. It's, uh, it's time that we took note of the passing season. It's time that we took note, but once again, trauma time is around this way. You're listening to one of my favorite pieces of personal trivia. I doubt whether there are more than seven people in the entire New York area who have a copy of this unfortunate LP. Now, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't keep this LP because I'm a freak on Christmas music. I keep this because I'm a disaster fan. You are listening to a recording made by the New York Jets the year they won the Super Bowl. Believe it or not, they were led by Joe Namath, who was singing contrabass on this recording. Willem Biggs was in there, singing alto. Don Maynard was on the drums. <laughs> that was back in the days when it was fun to live in New York, and everything was a winner. Everything you touch. The Mets, the Knicks, the Rangers, everything won. Now the Rangers are playing down there with the Little League. And uh, it looks like the Knicks may even be waved out of the league. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could just buy the Golden State Warriors and put them in the, put them in the garden and let them play for a while? And why can't New York, with all of its facilities, if we can spend $74 million on a new stadium, why can't we just buy the Baltimore Orioles? I mean, on photo, just put them up there in the Bronx. <laughs> hey, yeah. If you think I'm kidding, take a look at the label there. See what I'm, I'm not jesting here. Just take a look at the label. It is the New York Jets singing Jingle Bells. And not only that, on the other side, I have a fantastic recording of... Uh, I get it up there for us. This is even sadder. Any cut. They're all the same. They're all Christmas. They're all the same. Any cut. That's all right, Al. And it's all PD, so you can just play any one of them. Now you're listening to the New York Giants of that period. Just bring it on any time you get it cued. Let it go. Like all New York things, it's uh, badly cued. There it comes. The heck is that? 
you would get the only cut that is totally unintelligible. Ladies and gentlemen, the New York Giants wish you a happy holiday. Poor Giants. Oh, my God, what's that? That's when Fran Tarkenton was throwing them for the Giants. That's when they had a football team, you know? Now they've just got a concept. If you listen carefully, you can hear Tucker Fredrickson in there singing tenor. That's when I used to sit out there and holler, goodbye, Allie. Goodbye. Do you remember Allie Sherman? Goodbye, Allie. And strangely enough, that was the year that they, they won nine and lost three. The best year they've had in 42 years. And they fired a coach. <laughs> Now listen, I'm going to tell you some uh, some truth tonight. This is WOR New York. Speaking of blasted hopes and dreams, I'll tell you. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you a story. I, I have never told on the air because it's so embarrassing, and it relates to Christmas. <laughs> and and uh, you know, there's something that that in your own life, I, I know that there's just just everybody is is in the same boat. There are some things that happen to you in the course of your existence that are so painfully embarrassing that you don't even tell yourself about them, much less anybody. You just wipe it out, you know? Just wipe it out. Right, just just wipe it out. Wipe it out. Oh, yeah, terrible. Just wipe it I, I, I'll never... Well, you, 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 I'll tell you, one of them. Just to give you an idea, I remember one time when I was a... Let's see, I was a college sophomore. And you know that I was... I, I was I had this date with this girl. And we spent about three hours together. You know, I took her to this fancy restaurant. I was gonna, you know, spend everything I'd saved the whole semester on it. And halfway through the dinner, after about three hours of chit chat and idle talk and uh and warm conversation and I meeting eye over the candle and all that stuff, I suddenly discovered she thought I was somebody else. <laughs> I, I thought at first when she kept calling me Sam, she was being funny. I discovered she thought she was with Sam. I don't want to hear anymore. There's commercial time. Hit the button now, please. Guy wrote me and says, Shepard, I timed your show the other night. You have 12 minutes in which you say something. All around. <laughs> well, it's Christmas time, buddy. That's the way it is. And uh, it'll be it'll be uh, a little calmer after Christmas, very much so I can tell you. But uh, speaking of Christmas, I, I might as well tell you this story. It's an embarrassing one, uh, and uh, I, I uh, have always approached Christmas ever since this time, this moment, with a kind of uh, nervousness that I know I shouldn't approach it with. Uh, now there were several things that uh, that I think uh, caused problems for. Uh, most Americans at holidays. You know that the that the uh, holiday time, Christmas time, particularly this this period, right here around the first of the year, as it, as we go from one year to the next, is the highest period for mental problems. Did you know that? In fact, uh, psychiatrists around the country 
uh, it's the only time of the year where they conduct 24-hour sessions. Uh, <laughs> you know, they work in shifts. <laughs> Guys sitting there talking about their mother and <laughs> talking about how come their old man didn't love them. And now here it is, Christmas time, and he's got to go through all that again. And, uh, well, you know, I've never had that kind of problem. I've had others. And I'm going to have to tell you, one of the truly most embarrassing moments of my life came as a result of Christmas time. And it's always, since that time, colored my relationship to Christmas a bit. Now, I was reminded of it just about an hour ago. I'm walking along the street on 42nd Street. And uh, there, standing between 6th Avenue and 5th Avenue, is this Santa Claus. And he's got this bell. You've seen him? And I walked past him. Was, I, I, there was something, there was a little twinge deep down in my psyche. Now, I couldn't figure out, what the heck, why? You know, is it because, uh, uh, am I anti-Santa Claus? Am I pro-Santa Claus? And I hate to see Santa Claus standing out here being yelled at by cab drivers? It's neither. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I had a terrible experience one time. I don't know how quite to say it. But uh, it started in the Boy Scouts. In fact, it, it started and ended in the Boy Scouts. I was in Troop 41. Now, um, at the time that this occurred, I was a second-class scout. Now, maybe that's a symbolic title. <laughs> Second, would you remember the the, uh, the ranks in scouting? What's the first one? Tenderfoot, uh, of course. What's the second rank? Tenderfoot is like a, a basic rookie, and uh, the second rank is a second class scout. It then follows that the next rank up the ladder is a first class scout. Correct. Now you're using your noodle. Then now they start getting tough. After the first class scout. You become a what? A star scout. Correct, Demo. Now, that does not refer to star in the showbiz sense. Not at all. It is a badge one receives. You are a star scout. Now, after you are a star scout, you are a, a light scout. Correct. And that's pretty high rank. After you are a light scout, you become... That is it. You're a 33rd degree scout. <laughs> You're at the top of the heap. You are an eagle scout. And I never achieved that, uh, that particular uh, rank because it took unbelievable beaverism to become an eagle scout. You had a night and day be sitting around doing uh, uh, first aid at all times. You had to you know, constantly be doing merit badge stuff. And I just didn't have that kind of a mind. I couldn't get involved in leather craft, uh, which is one that turned me off completely. Although I did make a Roy Acuff wallet, for those of you who are interested in handicraft. Yes, uh, one of the big projects during my scouting career was to make a Roy Acuff wallet. Roy Acuff was a major god in the uh, area of uh, Indiana that I lived in. You know who Roy Acuff, he still is, you know. And uh, my, my beautiful wallet consisted of a picture that I cut out of a magazine of Roy Acuff wearing his western hat and uh, carrying his uh, guitar. And I inscribed on the wallet that I made a profile picture of Roy Acuff wearing his hat and carrying his guitar. And underneath it, it said, The Great Speckled Bird. 
<laughs> now, now uh, I, I entered that in a scout jamboree. Got didn't even get honorable mention. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, but I still have the wallet. I, I ought to, I ought to take that wallet sometime and whip it out and show it to the boys at Michael's Pub. You know, take take uh, take my credit card out of a, a Roy Acuff wallet that I made myself. But that, <laughs> nevertheless, oh yes, I also made a great neckerchief slide. And uh, I carved this neckerchief slide, and I thought I was making a moose. And I carved this, I thought it looked like a moose, you know, when you're a kid, you, you work away at this thing. And I, I brought it in and showed it to the, uh, to the scout master. He really got bust. And he took it away and says, you're not going to let me wear that. Apparently it was a, uh, an erotic uh, <laughs> moose. I, don't, I, I didn't think of it that way, but, but uh, these things can uh, traumatize you. But nevertheless, uh, Christmas time was about a, about a month before Christmas, about two or three weeks actually before Christmas time, and we had a scout meeting. And Mr. Gordon got us all together down there in the church basement, and he said, we have decided we're here at Troop 41 that we're going to have a big uniform drive. And what we're going to do is we're all going to go out and we're going to raise money over Christmas time to buy uniforms for our less fortunate scout brethren who cannot afford uniforms. Well, at that point, all I owned myself was a neckerchief. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I never thought of myself as one of the less fortunate scout brethren. It's just that I kind of felt silly walking around with that funny suit on. But uh, So I'd wear this neckerchief with, with purple and gold. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Mr. Gordon got us all organized. He said, what we're going to do, we're going to have a tag day. Yes, you know, you see kids uh, out there with a, with a little can, tag day. You know, what, you know what I mean by tag day? You don't know what a tag day is? Of course, in New York, they wouldn't know those things. A tag day is when you go out with a little can with a slot on the top, and it says on the side, for the benefit of Troop 41 uh, to help the lesser favorite Boy Scouts to buy uniforms, tag day. And every time somebody puts a quarter in your can, they get a little tag that says, I help Troop 41. Okay, that's called tag day. Now, <laughs> you know, up to that point, it was okay, see? But remember, it was only two weeks before Christmas. And so at that point, Mr. Gordon came up with his really goody. He said that we have been talking to Goldblatt's, the Goldblatt's department store, and they have, have uh, very, very kindly uh, decided to contribute to our tag day. Now, that was the local department store, you know, like Macy's here thing. And uh, what were they going to contribute? Well, where do you hear this game? <laughs> they were not going to contribute money. No way. There were three, let me see, three, four, five patrols in our troop, Troop 41. And each patrol had about 10 or 15 kids, right? Right? I was in the Moose Patrol. And they were going to contribute to the entire troop just to lend it to them for the tag day. They were going to contribute the loan of little itsy-bitsy Santa Claus costumes. So we could go out dressed as Santa Claus. <laughs> now, wait a minute. <laughs> so at first it sounded great, you know, I mean, the idea of going out dressed as Santa Claus. So Mr. <laughs> Gordon had us all down there in the basement. So we, at, at the, they started to hand out these boxes. They had a whole pile of boxes in the corner there. And they were Santa Claus suits. He says, take these home now. And next Saturday at 8 o'clock, uh, you will meet at your your prescribed corner, your patrol, each patrol was responsible for a certain area, a certain number of 
street corner. And he said, you will meet uh, your patrol leader, you will meet him at the corner that he designates at 8 a.m. Saturday, and at 6 o'clock that night we will all meet in the church and we will bring the cans full of money here and then we will, you know, count it all up and it's going to be a great tag day. So, gang, get out and fight. So I took my Santa Claus suit home and it came in a box that said Goldblatt's on it and it had a red coat with uh, white cotton, you know, around the cuffs and it had white cotton running down the front of it. It had a big white, uh, sort of a fluffy white cotton uh, <laughs> uh, uh, collar on it. And it had a big stocking cap, you know, a red stocking cap with a big white rim around it. And it had a big puff ball on the top, white. And the best thing of all, it had a, uh, a plastic red nose that uh, hooked over your, over your ears like eyeglasses. It had a nose. And it had little eyeglasses, little Santa Claus eyeglasses. You've seen those little eyeglasses that hang way down on Santa Claus's nose. A white beard and a white mustache, and all of it went over your your ears like that. Fantastic. I remember going into the into the into the John, see, all by myself. My kid brother was not yet home from uh, whatever he was doing with peanut butter, and uh, I, I went into John. I put on my fantastic my my plastic nose. <laughs> I looked in the mirror. There I was. Wow. You know, you'd be amazed. Even when you're only, uh, I was about 13 at the time, even when you're 13, when you put on a plastic nose and a, and a fake white beard and uh, you have Santa Claus glasses hanging down at the bottom of your plastic red nose, it does somewhat change your appearance. It gives you a whole different image. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I could hardly wait for Saturday. See, I put my coat on. It was really good. And, and it came with a pad, believe it or not, for his, you know, Santa Claus has a big, fat stomach, see? And so what they had was like a pillow that went around your waist with a strap in the back and a strap on your chest. That is a great big thing, see? So then you put the coat over, and you were a first-class Santa Claus. They had, a, uh, they had these uh, patent leather boots. They were really, they were kind of like actually oil cloth. They were really cheesy. They were black oil cloth boots that came up. <laughs> and uh, you went out, you know, you were real, real Santa Claus. And in each, uh, you know, each one, there was a, a picture of Santa Claus and how you should wear your costume and how Chris Kringle really talks. So on the Saturday in question, I put on my Santa Claus suit. And that was the first time my mother, of course, was a little bit uh, she, well, much wiser. You know, you learn years later that your your parents did know something. She said, she, I don't know. Whether it's just, uh, whether you're really going to like going out. <laughs> I said, oh, this is wonderful. You know? And my kid brother was uh, under the kitchen table looking at me, and all of a sudden this 13-year-old Santa Claus emerges. And have you ever worn a Santa Claus suit, any of you out there? You have? Strange feeling. It really is. Uh, for those of you who have never actually worn a Santa Claus suit in combat, uh, you really don't know. There's no way to, uh, to explain to you what a strange feeling it is. Now, in combat, I mean, that means being Santa. <laughs> You're actually being Santa Claus. So my, my old man says, all right, he says, I'll take you down to the court. See, this is about two or three miles away from where I lived as a kid, so I couldn't duck out. He says, all right, I'll take you down there where you're going to meet. And uh, we were going to meet on Kennedy Avenue. See, so uh, we, we, we drove down. I'm sitting next to the old man in, in, uh, in the Oldsmobile. There, I'm a little tiny Santa Claus, and I'm looking out. And the people are looking in from the other side. See, they see this little Santa Claus in there. With, <laughs> I remember, as far as it was kind of great, see. So we met at the corner of, of uh, Arizona and Kennedy. And uh, there was my entire 
troop, or rather my entire patrol, the entire moose patrol, about 12 kids, all standing around. The patrol leader, who was Jack Martin, who was 7 feet 9 already at the age of 13, and made a very imposing Santa Claus. And uh, he's got all his other Santa Clauses all around, and there's Stanley Roper and the whole crowd. So I get out of the car, and you couldn't tell one from the other. They all look exactly alike. When you put a plastic nose and <laughs> a 13-year-old kid with a white face mustache and white beard and a red suit on, he is indistinguishable from all the others. But so here was a whole bunch of us, and people were stopping and looking. And there was a whole, whole crowd of little miniature Santa Clauses all standing around out there. And uh, Jack Martin is telling each of us where we were to go. See? He says, and now you know, he says, hey, Shepard. And his mustache jiggles up and down. And I says, yes. Because he's, you know, he's a big guy. He's a, he's, a, he's a patrol leader. He says, all right. He says, you get down. I want you to go down. He says, I want you to go down to the corner of Summer Street, now 165th. Terrible, fantastic disaster. 165th and Summer Street had three pool rooms, one on each corner. <laughs> and the, the fourth corner, the fourth corner had a, had a standard oil station. So I said, okay. So I go trucking on down the road with <laughs> my Santa Claus suit. And all along, people are, are, are saying things like, Merry Christmas, you know what I mean? It's Santa Claus, hi. And I think, ho, Santa Claus, ho, ho, ho. Well, I finally get down to my street corner, and I'm, I'm standing on the corner about the first five minutes. I got a bell. Each one of us, incidentally, got a bell, you know, the kind like they, they have on the Salvation Army. I start ringing the bell and holding the can out, see? Well, the first five minutes, a lady comes along, and she's got a little kid with her. And at that point, the little kid takes one look at me and says, Santa! And at that point, Mother tries to drag this kid along. You see, she obviously knew this. I was not the official Santa. Well, the kid didn't know the difference. <laughs> and, 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 and the kid says, I want to go to Santa! And, and the Mother says, come on, come on, let's go. And finally, the kid is, is raising such hell that I says, ho, 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 little boy! And at that point, the kid starts raising Cain, and the mother brings him over, and she gives me a real mean look. And she says, uh, hello, Santa. She says, Santa, this is Clifford. And I said, hello, Clifford. Ho, ho, ho. And I hold the can out, see. He was not used to, to Santa Claus putting the arm on him. <laughs> Santa Claus is a guy you ask for things. You don't give him things, see. So I put the can out there, and she says, oh, how terrible. And she takes the kid, and down the street they go. Yeah, and at that point, I began to feel really rotten. You know, I'm out there with this can. Have you ever really begged on the street, buddy? It really starts to get to your head. Well, about ten minutes after I began my, my career as a street corner bell ringing, arm putting on, begging Santa Claus, who comes down the street with his buddy? but Scott Farkas. Well, now, <laughs> Scott Farkas, under the best of conditions, was not somebody that I chose to meet at any point. He had yellow eyes, for starter. Scott Farkas's hair grew all the way down, almost to the tip of his nose. He had a crew haircut that made him look a little bit like a cantaloupe wearing a hairbrush. And... <laughs> Mean Scott Farkas. And there I am standing there with my bell. See, I'm ringing the bell. <laughs> and I kind of like ringing the bell. I'm ringing the bell. I got about a total of maybe 75 cents in my can. 
and I've sold about maybe five or six different uh, tags. When along comes Scott Farkas, I could see him coming down the street. And, and, and there was a look on his face as if, well, have you ever seen the movie Jaws? Well, you know the look on the shark's face when he decided that he was really going to go all the way? Well, Scott Farkas had the look on the face of a, he was, he was, uh, Scott Farkas was truly a legendary bully. If uh, those of you are confused, it's not Scott Farkas, it is Scott, S-C-U-T, like Scott Marcus's yellow eyes, I could see him for a half a block away, and he starts picking up steam. About a hundred yards away, he hollers, Hey, Shepard! Santa Claus, huh? Ah, hello, Sandy! Hey, Sandy, should I tell you what I want for Christmas, huh, Sandy? Well, I could see that it was going to be nothing but real serious trouble. And about 25 yards away, as Farkas is gathering steam, he's with about seven of his toadies, because he spotted a kid that he's been after for at least six months, and now he's got him trapped wearing a rubber nose, wearing Santa Claus mustaches and beard, wearing a pair of granny glasses. I took off. I turned right and took off down 165th Street with about 15 guys chasing Santa Claus. I went through the bottom floor of Goldblatt without touching the ground, right up the escalator <laughs> with Scott Marcus and his friends after. When I spent the afternoon, I finally rounded into an alley and got away from it, at least partially. I spent the afternoon hiding under a front porch, dressed in a Santa Claus suit, wearing a rubber nose. And ever since that time, I've been very nervous about Santa Claus's in Christmas. Who knows? Uh, yes, who does know? Only the shadow, of course. This is W.O.R. New York.